Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me this week are Milo and Simon. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Steph. Hello, sir. Hello, chaps. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that the physio passed me fit to return this week uh, because we have some things to discuss in this non-Spurs, yet still plenty of Spurs-related matters week, which is taking the penultimate round of friendlies for all countries heading to commence with the World Cup in Qatar in oh, 45 days or so, I think it is, something like that. And that didn't feel weird to say at all, did it? <laughs> but we didn't feel weird to hear the World Cup in winter. Mm. Not so much. Uh, in the case of England, that meant the horrendous Nations League, a feckless, useless turn of a tournament that has suddenly got half the country riled up for no reason at all, really. We'll take a look at how our international picks across football have fared in general. And after that, we will be evaluating just exactly why Declan Kulisewski. Dejan. Why did I say Declan? I don't know. Well, <laughs> and after that, we will be evaluating our Irish Swede, Declan <laughs> We, and De- after that, De- we will Declan be evaluating <laughs> Declan Okulisewski. Oh, boy. Physio, I need that magic spray now. Uh, so anyway. You're not that sharp, Steph. Oh, You're not that sharp. Better. God, dearie me. Much better. Great. All right. All right. Yeah, I think feeling, yep, yeah, I think I can carry on. And after that, we will be evaluating just exactly why Dejan Kulisewski is not only one of the world's most underrated midfielders, but why he is literally the only player of his kind currently at the club. What does that mean to Tottenham Hotspur? You'll hear all about it from us later on, as well as me giving you a chorus of gimme, gimme, gimme a ginger from Sweden. Did you like that, Simon? <laughs> He's gone to mute and turned the lights off, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> He's so disgusting. The Declan o- Kulisewski that he decided to just, just trash the whole thing. <laughs> Oh my god, I can't believe you can sing that well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start by looking back at the week that was. Shall we do that? Oh my god, I'm so excited. As you should be, as you should be, Simon, because the club this week announced a new partnership agreement with FC Malaga City. In fact, last week this announcement came. The partnership will run for an initial period of 12 months. FC Malaga City is a residential football academy with players from over 35 different countries and six continents. The academy is said to have some of the top unsigned unsigned talents outside of the professional game. The partnership will see us work alongside Malaga coaches, hosting quarterly visits to Hotspur Way for Malaga coaching staff. We will also host football development residential visits for FC Malaga City players. Gentlemen, do you think that we are looking to get preferential access to their best players or are we being altruistic? I mean, I don't know anything about Malaga. Uh, can someone give me some info and I'll give you an answer, man? I can paraphrase what Steph said in the intro uh, <laughs> in a slightly different way. Um, yeah, they're, a, they're an academy that isn't aligned to a, so a private academy that isn't aligned to a club. Um, so they're picking up players from around the world, uh, coaching them, and then you know, presumably looking to find them a club. I think what's interesting, Simon, is, and, and I, 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 you know, I agree with you. It's it's definitely somewhat of a shot in the dark or out of the blue or whatever. I think it's an experiment, isn't it? I mean, I, I think we're really looking to see how a partnership of this nature can work. I'm always for partnerships. And, and I mean, I think we've all been looking for something like this. It's just that it came from nowhere. And I know very little about, about this club and, and this academy. Yeah, the most I know about Malaga is it's exceptionally hot. <laughs> Aside from anything, Milo, you have another theory on this, don't you? Which I'm hoping you'll expand upon with me having given you that lead in. In relation to the question about whether we're being 
looking to poach their best players or being altruistic, I think it's definitely the former. And I, I also wonder whether this might be a way of us getting around some of the work permits issues that we've got mm. in the UK now. So I wonder whether um, certainly younger players parking them there before maybe moving them on might be something we're looking at to try and help us get through, uh, get around kind of work permit restrictions that you've got in bringing players into the UK, bringing into players into England. You know, during the last window, I know Fulham tried to sign Justin Cliver and uh, they, the deal fell through because they couldn't get a work permit for him. You know, he's a reasonably well-established player. So, um, you know, it was something we talked about a couple of years ago when, uh, you know, these changes were brought in post-Brexit. Um, but in the in the last window, it's certainly something we saw a couple of times. And it's, you know, even harder with young players. So that, that might be something we're looking to do there maybe we're also looking you know some of our young players send them out there for a, you know if they think they need they benefit from a you know change of environment or um you know being developed slightly differently that might also give us an option as well that's the part i'm most uh, longing for getting our players our academy players and people and and teens that are in that bracket of not being ready for the first team and uh, wanting to give them uh, another experience but this is an academy rather than playing in a league. So they're not yeah, going to get, exactly. you know, they're not going to get much there that they couldn't be getting. I mean, maybe it's a bit like, uh, you know, the last, the last time you were on Simon or the time before that, when we were talking about um, the setup that Fulham have got, where they've done away with their academy and they've got a B team and they're playing friendlies. Um, maybe it's more that kind of arrangement. And uh, Brentford. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Brentford. Yeah, sorry. No, you're right. Brentford. Um, yeah, maybe that would, um, maybe they benefit from that. Maybe that's the kind of thing they're looking at there as well. We'll have to wait and see. It's interesting. Well, it's also, I mean, we should note that this is uh, for a year. The deal is in place for a year. So it certainly feels like something where it's like, hey, if this is working, we keep mm -hmm. it going. And if not, we go elsewhere. It also, to me, smacked of maybe saying, uh, folks, we're in the market for this kind of relationship. If you can do better than Malaga, you know, let us know. And also we have new, new people in at the club in this new structure. So this looks like oh, something yes. that comes from that new group of people, which is in some ways has to be looked at as something possible. Yes. Part of the deal is our coach is going over there to help them. And I'd imagine there'd be a rush to get over there to Malaga for, you know, kind of December, January, February to do to run some training sessions over there and, and help them, uh, you know, develop their skills. Uh, so it could be a very popular um, uh, arrangement. Well, it's actually, no, no, well stated because it's well known that the January, February months uh, in Malaga uh, when players, for some reason, seem to find their rhythm. Uh, it's a rhythm <laughs> thing. It's well known in football circles, uh, in the coaching circles, that, you know, Spain at that time of the year is, is exceptionally good to spot a young player's potential. So, um, yeah, no, I can see the rush right now. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, okay, we'll see what happens with Malaga. Uh, one thing we can confirm this week is that um, Eric Dyer is that Eric Dyer's family will no longer be attending away games uh, because of abuse, um, which is something that is uh, pretty tragic. Actually, it's a terrible state of affairs. David Heitner wrote a piece for The Guardian about this and interviewed Eric. And Eric said, and I quote, "It has definitely got worse." And that is since the incident in March 2020 when Eric uh, marched into the stands to um, defend his family, basically, from some verbal idiot. Um, <clears throat> well, he wasn't a verbal idiot. He was an idiot using verbals, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, Dyer continued to say, for me, it is a serious problem. I had some family and friends at the Chelsea away game with Tottenham and they had huge problems. Not nice ones either. It is a huge, huge problem. It was verbal, not physical, but like bad stuff. One incident was in the Tottenham away end. 
I want to emphasise that it was both sets of fans. I'm not saying it is Chelsea fans or Tottenham fans. It is football in general. And he goes on to say, my family would never go to an away game nowadays because of it. And that's a shame. He said, my mum has not been to an away game. Uh, She would love to, but I would be worried about it. And that's crazy, isn't it? Uh, And he is not the only player who's gone through this. I think Harry Maguire's father uh, suffered cracked ribs at uh, at the European Championship Finals at Wembley last year when there was that mob scene. And I think we've heard Jordan Henderson say that his father will no longer be going to games after what happened in Paris. Chaps, you know, it's terrible to hear this. It's sad to read. Is there anything that you, either of you think can be done that will help this situation, if not completely go away, ease off considerably? I mean, I think think one thing you have to look at, I mean, there's been a, there was another story out last week about the kind of increase in um, arrests at football and um, kind of incidents since lockdown eased, um, you know, a while ago. And there's been a marked um, a marked increase. And I know this is something that that's also been seen in some of the lower leagues. And, you know, I, I've seen some of this um, kind of firsthand where you've got um, kind of young kids causing trouble, young lads causing trouble at, at you know, non-league games. And, you know, they're... they're there's there's little or no police presence at those grounds. There's you know very little that can be done, and um, you know and causing problems there. And you know you're also you know kind of seeing similar um, you know higher up the leagues where there is a police presence. And I think there's been you know there's been a slight kind of switch off the back of it, or, you know, off the back of lockdown, where um, you know I think one of the theories I've heard is that there's been a slight change in the kind of age demographic of players, you know, sorry, of fans going to games. I wonder how much of this is a societal problem. Where oh, absolutely, because it's hard to kind of um, it's hard to kind of separate this from other yeah. things we see, where especially famous people with social media become dehumanized. So kids and younger people, and I don't know if this is mainly a problem from young people, but if he perceives it as getting worse, we have to imagine that it's newer fans. And so I've I've seen I've seen this around social media where it's. This this clip where Pep is biking home late at night and some fan that. Yeah. starts chasing him and he gets really scared and this 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 kind of uh, this person isn't aware of what he's doing and how scary that has to be uh, for someone like Pep. So I think you've hit a well, you've hit two, you've both hit two very important points for me. Uh, I'll start Simon. Your I think your point is. 100% on I think this is a greater society issue and I think you can't talk about it without addressing the fact that we are still uh, coming out of a collective uh, mental psychosis that actually in, in you know may not adjust itself for many years and it's certainly not being helped by things such as the uh, remedial economics that continue to wreck working class people and and make the the cost of living hard for everyone. I I don't want to make this a political pod, but I think it's very, very relevant. And this will dovetail into the second point that Milo is making about how do people get tickets? Maybe it's younger. I don't think it is necessarily younger fans. I think there's a lot of very discontent uh, people out there. And I think that football is a very has become sadly a safe place for people to vent their anger at many other things. I mean, this is like, this is not rocket science psychology, is it? It's like you get pissed off, you have a couple of beers, you go to the football and you just start yelling at people and their families. And, you know, you see them and you, and like Harry Maguire is a fine example. I don't care what anyone thinks of Harry Maguire as a footballer, you know, some of the abuse that he has been subject to and his family, it's, it's, it's off the scale wrong. And yeah. it has little to do with them or or their families. So I, I agree with you, Simon. It has to be 
societal. Coke has a big part to play in it as well, I think, for, in some, some situations. You're absolutely right. Yes. But I just see it on social media that people are start when there's a platform where people continuously get the chance to just say everything they think, yep. that is kind of hard for some people to shut off when they're out in society face to face. And you can yep. see that with some people. Yeah. And especially when they are anonymous or if they have a camera on, it's this memification of yep. real life. Couldn't agree where more. They can film anyone, they can post anyone. These yep. boundaries where reality is just a it's just a, a, a tool for how you can get attention yeah. on the internet. It's, there's something in that. I mean, the one you missed out, Steph, when you were talking about kind of players on the receiving yeah. end of abuse is that Alex Scott talked about trolling and racist abuse she was receiving as well. Terrible. She was ab- abused so much at a certain point that she was scared to leave her house. Her anxiety rocketed through the roof and she and she was basically rendered unable to do her job by, you know, the, the internet naysayers and bullies that seem to have proliferated and existed in this time, as Simon has said, uh, via just a complete disregard for what I think is a societal contract that we all should be engaging in, in terms of decent behavior simon can i just ask you a question so i think fans online i'll say online i'm talking about twitter particularly or so as instagram happens as well um fans copying in players to abuse i think has become more prevalent over the last couple of years and yes stinks so you know someone has a bad game or is perceived to have had a bad game and 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 getting copied in most of these guys won't see it because they've got people who manage their accounts but it's just really just fucking bad manners and and counterproductive you know we all have a bad day on the job sometimes and someone telling you your shit doesn't help you get better the next day does it Uh, absolutely right and in terms of your kind of mental health there's a threshold we've all got you know and and you don't know what else is going on in people's life and all these kind of things piling on top of each other uh, can affect anyone so i'd like to suggest to our to our listeners and and, uh, i mean i'll throw this out there Uh, maybe there is a different approach that you can take at a football ground if you see someone abusing a player's family members or if you see someone relentlessly abusing a player uh, aside from the fact they're wrecking your enjoyment of the game maybe if you can see them doing that rather than like steaming into them and calling them a twat which they are perhaps it is a case of like hey it's all good whatever's going on with you just bring it down. Maybe you approach them with a little more sort of uh, empathy and just like, in, maybe that's the approach to calm people down. Of course, as you said, Milo, if they're coked up, then nobody's going to listen. You're just going to have to be direct. But, you know, while we're here, another monster editing job for you coming up, uh, Milo, where is, is the Harry Kane armband. No, no. I mean, this, this slipped into our notes fairly late on, but I th- we agreed that it was well worth discussion. You know, Harry Kane will wear an anti-discrimination armband during England's World Cup matches in Qatar. Uh, so will several other skippers, as I understand it. Um, it will be in support of the One Love campaign against discrimination, with the captains of nine other nations also taking part. There it is. There are nine other captains. Uh, Given the issues with equality within Qatar and the horrific human rights abuses that have been perpetrated to stage the tournament, here's the question that could spiral into another 20 minutes. Milo, help us. But is that enough? Is this armband enough or is it just posturing? There's there's been quite a lot of talk around that this week. And I think the FA gave a press conference earlier earlier this week where they were talking about kind of discussions they've had with the Qatari government, um, where the Qatari government have said that... um, or they've been told that um, if people can respect local traditions, then you wouldn't be arrested for holding hands with your partner in, in, in the country. But I know that the FSA 
Football Sports Association have, have said that they've there's no nothing concrete there, and there's no statement from the Qatari government on this. It's kind of um, kind of vague assurances, and yeah, nothing on the record. So, I mean, I mean, my line on this, and like throughout, and you know, I know that Steph, we've talked about this quite a lot, and we both feel quite um, kind of conflicted about the World Cup in that we'd quite like to watch, watch a football tournament, but not sure whether we can in in in, in good conscience. Um, I don't think a tournament should be staged in a country where fans aren't free. To, to attend and and to watch their team and uh, you know and behave in a in a in the way that they normally would. So no, I don't think wearing an armband is enough. I think you know if you can't guarantee that fans can go to the can attend the games and you know with their um, their partner or you know whoever and enjoy the tournament and get home safely, I don't think an armband is enough. No, I mean it's not enough. It's virtual signaling and i mean but it's kind of too late i mean what would be enough is yeah. every sponsor getting out every team boycotting and us uh, fans not watching uh, if now if because this it's all about the money yep. if you show the organizers that we won't sponsor decisions like this um they will continue to do it and that's the only I, thing I that would work I think you're right when you say it's too late in one sense. I think it's it's definitely the train has left the station. But I think there's one final stop that could be uh, activated actually by the by uh, by the players and 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 teams themselves, which is you know to basically say, look, if there isn't some sort of like stated decree, you know, guaranteeing the safety of fans um, and you know allowing people to be who they are. Um, then we're not going to show up because it is, as you said, it is too late in a sense. So imagine if they don't show up, then yeah. the whole tournament is really in trouble. Of course, the bigger issue there is what happens once the World Cup's over. It's like, what, does everyone forget that this goes on again? It's a massive conundrum. I mean, if they talk about it in every interview before every game, uh, yeah. that might be something. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're all agreed then that, yes, nice start, but let's hope there's a little more behind it. Are we right? Mm-hmm. Is that right to say? Absolutely. Okay, very good. Should, should, should we shift gears a little bit um, and, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get a little lighter? Um, that, that, yeah, it, was, it got a little heavy there for a while, but I mean, that's the world we're in. So, you know, if, if you can't handle that, dear listener, I'm sorry. That's the way it is. Unfortunately, football and politics do increasingly intertwine. Um, but in this case, they do not, because we're now going to talk about the clean sweep of nominations that Tottenham Hotspur Football Club has for this month's Premier League Awards, with someone up for every category. Antonio Conti, nominated for Manager of the Month. Pierre-Emil Hoybier, nominated for Player of the Month. Two of Son Young-Min's goals against Leicester have been nominated for Goal of the Month. And Hugo Lloris's save against Fulham to deny Alexander Mitrovic has been nominated for Save of the Month. Chaps, has there ever been a quadruple less in doubt? Well, I think you tried to give um, Larice save of the month for that save in August. I did. It, was like, <laughs> it, it, it was a save so good that it travelled through time. <laughs> you could know you just put that next to Declan Okulasevsky with. <laughs> the only one I really care about is Conte not winning manager of the month because we know that once. <laughs> that's You've done the it. curse you don't ding, want ding, 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 before ding, ding, the North ding, London ding. Derby. Simon, meet Milo. Milo, meet Simon. <laughs> no such thing as curses. I'd have them all walk under ladders as they walk out onto the pitch. Sonny's <laughs> <laughs> first goal. I like that. <laughs> um, ladders. I like that. But you, cut, you can only get it if you walk under a ladder. <laughs> I like that. Sonny's <laughs> um, first goal against Leicester 
should be nailed on for goal of the month. It was absolutely superb. We've got to bear in mind that that most teams have only played two games this month and some teams have only played one. So um, it's slim pickings. Simon, he's just denigrating this wonderful quadruple we're about to sweep. I can't believe it. Common sense. I think Ten Hag is the only other manager with a 100% record, I think, along with Conte. What I like is Hoiberg continuously getting recognised by... Uh, people outside the club, while half or at least a third of the fan base keep slating him and not seeing <laughs> his value. So, like, it's such great timing. Every time they keep they, 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 he comes so up, right. you have like Ancelotti telling uh, a journalist that he w- wants to sign him, or mm. some old Pep quote coming up, or you know, uh, some old Mourinho quote coming up, or a nomination, or some stat coming up. I don't know how much we have to see before we, we yeah. start uh, valuing. But, but Simon, you must remember that Chris from Chiswick, sitting on his uh, sofa, right, with his six pack of uh, and and his and his and his snacks, knows more than anyone about Pierre Emil Hoybier, right? Just never forget that, and 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 you'll find this a little easier. to And we know Conte to. likes to play with people he likes. He doesn't care about wins and picking the best yeah. players for. For getting, yeah. for achieving what he wants, he he he's just like Hoiberg, you know. And and in fairness, so do I, and so do you, and so does Milo. I I look, it's I think it's going to be a quadruple. I share your uh, reluctance for Antonio Conte because I am the person who occasionally still checks their knickers to make sure they got their lucky ones on uh, before a game. As uh, did I just was that my inside voice? I think it was. Oh shit! And you know he's not going to cut this. He's not going to. They cut are that. your. Pierre Mille Hoybier pants as well, aren't they? You've got his, his face on the um, yeah. On the my front. Pierre, my Pierre pants. That's right. My, my lucky Pierre pants. That's right. Good lord, that would that might be uh, that that would make his face even sterner than it usually is if he heard about my Pierre pants. My lucky Pierre pants. When we first first started doing this pod, we were talking about clubbing together to get you a uh, Pochettino <laughs> duvet set, a duvet and pillow set made up. It's just getting worse, isn't it? I'm just like it's getting worse. Let's. You know what we need. You know what we really need? Seriously, we really need a football regulator for this sort of nonsense, right? Unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, the Times have reported that the government, that is our current government, the one uh, that that we all love and trust. Did you get that little pun? I mean, the whole thing is a joke. But anyway, the government is considering, but he was drinking. Sorry, I I caught Milo while he was drinking alcohol, as I mentioned the government's. It's water. (laughs) Oh, well, it should be alcohol if I'm mentioning the current government. Um, Anyway, they're considering putting plans for an independent football regulator on the hold and giving the game time to come up with their own solutions. Previously, there have been plans to publish a white paper this autumn. Um, Chaps, you know, regulating yourselves. Does it ever really work? Is this whole um, idea being kicked into the long grass, do you think? Or is it a temporary uh, freeze on the idea? I mean, the Premier League clubs have been lobbying heavily for them not to have an independent regulator imposed on them for obvious reasons. It would get in the, get in the way of them making shitloads of money and uh, trampling all over the fans. So I'd imagine they'll be delighted. I mean, there's nothing confirmed on this yet, but the government appear to be, yeah, their focus appears to be um, almost solely on kind of economic growth and every anything that doesn't um, kind of directly support that is being um, 
uh, put to one side for the moment. So I think uh, if this turns out to be true, it would fit in with um, the other things that we're we're hearing. So um, it wouldn't appear to be a priority for you know the new prime minister and the new government. Um, and you know, in terms of kind of self-regulation, I think you know if the Premier League were left to set up their own regulator, or the FA was um, were left to set up their own regulator, it would probably be every bit as effective as the regulation is at the moment. I'm always for regulation on capitalism, but to me, this just seems like something that will never happen. Uh, there's just too much money in this for. Uh, and also, I mean, the topic is, has kind of gone away after the Super League kind of went away. I don't know if there's a... I think fans want a regulator, but I don't feel like there's this uh, big... I mean, um, I don't hear a lot of people talking about it right now, at least. Well, it's an important thing for fans to pay attention to, um, because if the game does not get regulated uh, better, we're going to end up with an increasingly poor, um, quote-unquote, product. There's no doubt because certain teams will continue to be able to invest at a disproportionate or shall we say unfair rate to everybody else to start with. And there's all sorts of problems that come from allowing money to uh, to protect money. I mean, that's always the way, right? But, you know, but it's not just about that. It's you know, not just the macro stuff. It's the, it's the micro stuff as well. You know, the kickoff times for games, you know, um, you know, playing Newcastle away, at, you know, eight o'clock kickoff on a Monday night or whatever and having a you know, kind of five hour schlep back from there afterwards. You know, it's um no, I mean it's I think it all plays in. I mean you're we're talking about money protecting money because yeah. if as you quite rightly yeah, point yeah. out, if that kickoff time suits a TV deal more than it does a live supporter, then the T V deal is always going to win. And it would be nice to think there's going to be regulation of that. But yep. fans should pay more attention. Yeah. International roundup. Sonny scored a wonderful free kick to earn South Korea a draw against Costa Rica. Richarlison scored for Brazil as they beat Ghana 3-0. Rodrigo Bentancourt played 85 minutes for Uruguay as they lost 1-0 to Iran. Surprise, that one. We have the late Queen to thank for Cuti Romero getting Friday night off. Delays following the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II meant that he was unable to get a visa from the US Embassy in London in time to meet up with his international teammates in Miami. Pierre-Emile Hoybier played 90 minutes for Denmark in their 2-1 defeat away to Croatia, and Perisic played 71 minutes in the game, but had to come off after coming together with uh, with Hoybier. He got he got they bumped into each other. Not too serious. Both uh, Perisic and Hoybier yes. uh, started for their respective countries this evening. Um, and last time I looked, so we're recording this on Sunday evening. Last time I looked, Denmark were two 0 up against France. I'm not quite sure what's happened since then. Um, Skip Sessegnon and Spence played 72 minutes for England under 21s in their game against Italy. And Destiny Udogi came on in the, uh, at halftime for Italy and looked really good in the second half. And I think good. Spence and Skip getting minutes is is really important because they're they're not seeing much for for the Absolutely. club at the moment. So you know, if if we come back from this with uh, you know this break with um, Skip having you know 120 140 minutes under his belt, then that really puts us in good stead for the, kind of the run up to the World Cup. Because you do sense that Oliver Skip is going to have a major role in October, don't you? I mean, you yeah. really do. Yeah. Eric Dyer made his international return, playing 90 minutes in the middle of a back three for England as they struggled to defeat against Italy and Nations League relegation. Dry your eyes, Steph. Harry Kane also played the full 90. Before you carry on with that, let's just make this clear. Eric Dyer didn't struggle. No, no, no. I said said England, as England struggled. Yes, no, no. I know. I just want to clarify because you said dry my eyes and I just want to, it gave me an opportunity to clarify for everyone. The great Eric Dyer was secure. 
I was I was asking you to dry your eyes about Nations League relegation because I know it's the tournament that's closest to your heart. Oh, for Christ's sake! I mean, before uh, sorry, uh, finish the finish the item and then I'll say something. Go on. I think if we ever do a Patreon, I'm gonna I'm gonna have your old man rants as a kind of a, a, a month a month. I'll Good. cut them all up. I'll put bag, bag them together, and if you if you give us tuppence a month then you can listen to steph just rant away about uh, things so, tuppence i just uh, watched someone last night who charged 150 bucks for an old man <laughs> rant what are you talking about i'm expecting a big big money here mate so anyway england's defeat and performance has, has led some to question about gareth southgate's future just a fun question to before we move on to talking about declan um should the fa offer potch the england job for the tournament on a part yeah on a part-time temporary basis you, you mean now before the tournament or after yeah no before the tournament oh before i mean no is the obvious answer correct um <laughs> but someone has to talk to your coach because i don't know what he's doing I, actually as a as a neutral uh, and a swede for, for those that don't know um i have a hard time understanding his uh, thought process I saw an interview with him from before the Euros when he said that before the tournament, he and his assistant had been watching all the tournaments before, like 10 years going back. And to him, uh, what he saw as a pattern was the teams that conceded the uh, the least goals were the most successful. Mm-hmm. So him being a defender and also having that um, research uh, going into that tournament, I could kind of see what he was doing. But now looking at the squad and the type of talent England has, not going for more attacking um, lineups and actually trying to dominate games and trying to score is, to me, I mean, it's a fireball offense. And I don't know how he's been able to get away with that for so long. I'm going to play counter to that and offer a couple of things that may be a little more of a holistic view on the England situation, I think we're looking at players that are amidst, well, not even amidst, they've just started a season that is going to produce more games in a quirkier environment than they've ever had in their career. And this is off the back of being flogged pretty senselessly for the last year. And I think, unfortunately for Southgate, the sorts of players that he has relied upon in his system in the past, they're just burnt out. And he's got to try and protect these players as much as he can, with knowing that the tournament is, as we said, what, 45 days away. By the same token, these players are going to go back to a month in October where they're going to be playing, what, 50 football matches in 30 days? I don't know, some some ridiculous amount. So uh, as, as much as I agree with you i think that southgate you know it's a little odd i i do think that there are mitigating circumstances and that is actually the only reason why i would say that you know pochettino would have no effect if he came in to the job um because he's still dealing with the same level of burnout that southgate is and i think that's a hidden factor that that we're seeing coming to full fruition in these games He's got a, you know, it's it's a problem. I don't think that's something that's unique to England. So I don't think, I, I mean, I think Southgate is by nature a, a conservative coach. I think for qualifying for tournaments, getting out of group stages, I think actually probably that's the right approach in that, um, you know, you, you can qualify from a group with four points, five points, and, you know, quali- qualification for a tournament um, is difficult. You know, as England have found in the past, uh, we've had plenty of very good teams who haven't qualified for tournaments. But, um, and, uh, you know, Southgate, you know, for all his faults, is the, what, the second most successful England manager of all time. He's got a good record at qualifying for tournaments and getting us out of the group stages and, and, and progressing. 
I mean, certainly on kind of Friday night, I didn't, it wasn't something I enjoyed watching. With Poch, I just don't think it works because Poch needs too much time with players. You know, we saw that with Spurs right. where yes. you'd sign a player and you wouldn't see them for six yes. months. Um, he's not a yep. kind of a vibes manager. You know, you think if you want to drop someone in, uh, you know, There's six no weeks Terry before, Venables in that sense. No, no. or Kevin Keegan. You know, sign up PSG. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so he wouldn't have the time to. Um, wait, I mean, yeah. as an international manager, you don't have the time to coach complex systems anyway. But you know, six weeks out with no friendlies, he's got no time at all. Um, it just wouldn't no. work, and it wouldn't work for yeah. anyone. So no. Yeah, if you're going to switch this cl- this close, then you probably need someone you know, who's just vibes and nothing else, and you're not going to get very. Well, far I think in we it. completely. Yes. Yeah, you're not going to get very far in at all. And I think we agree that switching at this no, and switching at this late stage. I mean, it's it it would be ludicrous. I mean, again, I just to support uh, my opinion on, on on burnout. I mean, you know, Italy failed to qualify again for the World Cup finals. Um, you know, there've been bad results for Germany. France are not exactly you know playing at their best they're suffering some some bad results too i think that the nations that have very very competitive leagues are finding it a little harder and i think this world cup's going to be fascinating from that regard because it does leave the door open for perhaps a lionel messi or someone to actually be able to go all the way it's possible it'll be interesting to see it'll be richardson wouldn't that wouldn't that be wouldn't that be great and by the way things you've brought him up that first goal that he scored against ghana just lovely lovely finish that lovely i say wouldn't you love to see that richardson and royale walking up to lift the world cup emerson royale world cup winner it would be something mm. chaps very very quickly final question before we move on to the greatest irish swede uh, ever to play football sonny should be taking free kicks for us shouldn't he or should it, they should at least let him take a couple of direct ones right i mean come on yes no come on i think there's two parts of this okay so sonny is a great striker of the ball and but when, you have, when I look at those three goals he scored, they're very close to the... They're pretty much on the line of the box. And I'd like to see him try one further out to, to really get a sense of... Because the wall is so far away from him. Now, this cane problem we have on free kicks, uh, I feel it's so odd that someone that's so meticulous with every part of the game, to the extent that he brought in a dead ball specialist for corners and other types of situations still hasn't got up the nerve to tell Kane that he can't take them anymore. Because we have others that can do it. We have Perisic, we have Kubisetsky, we have Son, we have Dyer. So I'm just wondering what's going on in practice. Maybe Kane is, is scoring in every practice free kick is taken. But at some point, we have to to at least try someone like that. Uh, like Sonny. Anyway, I was saying it on on reflection of Sonny's fantastic goal for South Korea, which mm. you did mention. But anyway, we move on. We move on to uh, Dejan Kulusevski. And for those of you who are confused and thought we were going to talk about Declan uh, Kulusevski, let's let that joke die, shall we? We've flogged it to death at this point. Um, Dejan Kulusevski, a player who I think we would all agree is uh, probably one of the most important players in our squad currently. And you joined us on the 31st of January this year, which makes that an all the more remarkable um, realisation. He's quickly established himself uh, and was instrumental in our push for a fourth place. I would say that that is possibly politely understating the fact. Chaps, let's start off this section of the pod by talking about the impact that he has had in his first eight months at the club. Well, shall I kick off? I say, in terms of kind of one of our most important players, I mean, I would say that he's probably our third or fourth most important player. I would have Kane and Dyer certainly ahead of him. And that might, Larice, 
and that's probably it for me. Sonny's important, but you can play Richarlison there and there's not much of a drop-off. But you take Decky out of the side, there's a drop-off. Son's a better player than Decky, but I don't think he's necessarily more important to our game. You know, if Son's not starting, Richarlison's is starting, I'm not worried. But if De- if Decky isn't in the side, I'm worried. Romero? I think Romero's probably next on the list after that. But, you know, that's kind of where I am. Let's say for argument's sake, he's in the top five most important players in our squad, as we would look. And you would have to say that that is an extraordinary achievement for a man who just joined us in the last eight months. And, and, and let's once again review, like, you know, what has made... That's what has made that argument. You know, what has been the immediate impact that has caused this to be something that we we agree on? For me, it comes down to the fact that he's someone who can hold on to the ball and bring others into play. We were talking about this before we started the record, where we were kind of uh, discussing this this section and you know what, what you know how we wanted to cover it. Um, you know, if you think before him, it was predominantly Mora who was playing there, and Mora is a kind of head down runner, and you know what's Decky brings to the side for me is again Steph we were talking about this the other week the kind of the analogy I was thinking about was you know, you're climbing a mountain and you need to have base camp so if the, if the football pitch is a mountain you've got to get to the top, the summit of it which is the opposition goal you've got to have base camp a couple of places up the pitch in order to reach the summit and without Decky in the side the only one you've really got is Kane he's the only one who can hold on to the ball establish base camp and then start the next uh, the next part of the ascent can and I can I just say does this mean that Decky can as the shaman said and as I've said on this pod before move any mountain yeah he can yeah thank you <laughs> so I just with, have <laughs> with Decky in the side you've got somewhere else where you can establish a base up the field and then and, and then start the next field of play the next yeah. stage of play if you've got Mora playing or you've got Sun playing or you've got Richarlison playing you haven't got a Decky you don't have that base camp all you've got is a mad rush to the summit and that occasionally works if you think back to those those kind of three games we've had where Decky was out of the side um we cleared the ball and more often than not it was coming straight back at us and we we didn't get that respite and I think that's what he brought and we saw that before when you know before he came in uh last season yeah I think like, when you look at the balance of the front three you have of the front three and look at our four most prominent forward players Richardson Kane and Son those three are First and foremost, goal scorers. That's what yep. they do. Whilst to me, and I said this a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, to me, Decky is the new Ericsson in this mm-hmm. system. He's the playmaker. Yep. He's the guy that is intelligent enough to see the pitch and make the right position when it matters. And I think Conte has said as much as he's a truly a 10 in the sense of he helped, he and, and Kane basically takes turns of. of taking that playmaking role. I mean, your analogy is perfect. He's the base camp. He's, he's where you can stick the ball and the ball sticks. I feel like um, he's so strong physically and he's so smart with how he positions himself and, uh, and how he uses his body to get space between him and anyone that tries to take the ball from him. And also just positionally, he, he, he really widens the pitch. He goes far out to the right. In a, in a way that really gives space for Son and Kane uh, to move into. And then he's just fabulous 1v1. In an awkward way, like in his, in his own way. He's not the fastest, but he knows how to 
kind of use his body to get around and to get the right person. I think it's about the balance, basically. It's really interesting listening to both of you talk about Deki. Has uh, really, you know, got me thinking tenfold. Uh, I mean, number one, I agree with with everything you've said. Uh, number two, for some reasons, you were talking, and I don't know. This might say more about how my brain works than anything. I was just thinking he's almost like a James Bond or something for us. And then I'm thinking, well, OK, maybe he'd be a James Bond uh, vehicle. He's like an Aston Martin. I mean, you just, you know, he's all he's maybe not the flashiest looking player. But my word, he's got some he's got tremendous quality under the hood. I mean, he really does. I mean, he's just purrs with with, with quality with everything he does. He to me looks like an old man, an older guy. He looks like he's twenty eight or something. He plays like uh, like a player who's who's got years of, of of vision and maturity in the Premier League, let alone football. Um, as you said, Simon, he, he you know it's not it's not conventional the way he beats his man, but it looks and um, it looks good and it works. And I go back to my initial reservation where I said I'm gonna the jury's out for me, where I quite ignorantly judged him on his physicality which will once again show you why I am a mouth at the end of a microphone and not employed in a football club. Um, you know, he, he looked a little, he's, t- he's big, he's a unit and he looked a little awkward, but my word, he's incredibly silky when he moves and whatever move he's making, he's silky and he's strong and that ball sticks to him. But I mean, he's 22. So I think that, you know, you look at all these other players that are being, you know, really talked up in his age range. To me, he looks more mature than any of them. He looks more assured, and I think he escapes the sort of adulation that a young player would get because people can't believe he's as young as he is for the performances he puts in and the vision he has. But if you look at his stats for last season, so I've got stats for this season as well, but we've got a smaller sample size, so it's a bit, you know, a goal here or there or an assist here or there kind of really throws it. So if you look last season, you know, bearing in mind he kind of only joined in January, but... Uh, Decky, say 18 appearances. So during that time, he, sc- he got a goal or, a, or an assist every 97.5 minutes. Phil Foden was one, uh, 152.4 minutes. Saka, 166.3. Sancho, Jordan Sancho, 336.3. I mean, do you think about how, how hyped he was before he joined Man United? Uh, Conor Gallagher, 259. I mean, even, say, Diaz. It was 137.6. So I've also got so I've got the figures for uh, Diaz and Decky. Bearing in mind they both joined in January. So Diaz since then, so that's that last season and this has got a goal or an assist every 149 minutes. Decky's dropped off a little bit because uh, his form this season isn't quite so you know hasn't been quite so good. Um, Decky's 104 minutes per goal and assist. So I think what impressed me the most. The most with Decky is his mentality. The fact that a 21-year-old at the time can come to the Premier League and make that that type of impact and be so willing and so committed to working hard at getting better and not being afraid of playing next to Son and to Kane and to just go out there yep. and try his best every single time. His work rate, his pressing, everything he does outside um you know, contributing the goals and assists is something that I've been really impressed with. I think that mentality point is probably a good one. And I think that's probably something where we need to give credit to Paratici in that nearly all of the players he's brought in 
maybe some of the ones he brought in from Nuno were slightly different, but that was a different profile of manager he was signing players for. But certainly since Conte's been in, um, and maybe Conte's a bit more assertive in terms of what he's been offered and says yes or no, is a bit clearer about that. But the players he's brought in have all, nearly all, um, had excellent mentalities and been, you know, kind of hyper aggressive and hyper um, competitive, um, you know, since, since the two of them have been together at the club. I mean, I think, I think it's a universal trait. I mean, even if you were thinking of the Brian Hills of this world who have had to deal with what I would consider to be very turbulent transfer windows, mm. they're, they're part of the squad uh, because Conte thinks they can be. And that shows a strong mentality, right? And I agree with you. I agree with you, Simon. I mean, it's, 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 it's extraordinary um, how he adapted to the Premier League so quickly and in such a, um, a thankless uh, situation. Such a such a relentlessly pressure filled situation as well. I mean, it was a, there was no there was no respite. There was no bedding in period. It's like, hey, you're here to work. <laughs> we need you now. You say that though. He he didn't feature a huge amount for the first month, you know, three weeks, three four weeks or so. He was eased in, and then once he once he started got into the first team, once he showed what he could do, he was he really kind of nailed the position i think we would all ag- i think we'd all agree with the exception in the list of players that we've put well Connor gallagher doesn't count but out of foden sancho and bakaya saka saka is the only one who was really given the quote-unquote baptism of fire i mean i would say three weeks in the premier league or a month to break in he's next to nothing oh, no no I, I agree with that i mean i think when you look at those players if you look at the number i mean but you know saka and foden particularly you know have been around a, a, a while although they're young players yes. you know they're 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 in their you know third or fourth Premier League season currently, Absolutely. and yeah. um, you know Saka played thirty eight games last season for Arsenal, Foden twenty eight for Man City, uh, Sancho twenty nine for you know for um, for for Man United, uh, you know Gallagher um, thirty four. So you know they're they're, they're yes. playing a lot of games um, and a lot more experienced. And yeah. but if you think back to the conversation we had when he joined and we talked about. Um, you know his backstory, what he'd done so far. Um, you know he went to Italy at a very, very young age, and you know that was a really bold thing to do. It must have been, you know, quite intimidating. You know, you, and you, know, you talk about the mentality, and again, Paratici would know all about this, considering mm. you know the club he was at and you know his background and everything. He went to Atalanta when he was sixteen, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So to be prepared to do that speaks speaks a lot about him, I think. Yes, I, I agree. And it's interesting. I mean, we look at how important he's become to the team. And, you know, there are things that he does, balls that he plays, passes he plays that I, I can't think of. Well, maybe Perisic can play a couple of those those really whipped in deep crosses that he's been putting in um, from the angles uh, but uh, to the back post. But really, it, you're hard set to think of many other players that could do it. Maybe Kane, maybe Perisic. And I'm thinking of that ball he put into the back post for Harry to tap over the mm. line with his forehead against against um, Leicester, which was just, I mean, it was a phenomenal ball. And I think yeah. we all knew the second it left his boot, it's going in. It's, someone's going to put that in. The, the other one I'd say with him is that the, um, the run he does along the, the goal line Yes. So from the corner flag, the run he does it yeah. on the goal line, and then they cut back to the edge of the um, the six yeah. yard box. I think he's probably the best player in the league at that move. I don't think there's anyone yeah. else who can do it. And everyone knows what he's going to do when he gets to that, that position, and no one can do anything about it. I think another testimony to him is that you know there's no doubt that Emerson Royale looks and plays better when he is in. 
And mm-hmm. I think you could say the same for any of the players who have been playing at right wing back for us. When he is when he's in the side with them, they all look better. He helps Sanchez even. I mean, you know. Doherty's only good run at Spurs has been alongside Decky. Yeah, they were amazing together. Yeah, I mean, he clearly improves the players around him. Everyone that plays around him plays better when he's there because he's very clear in his intention to help the team move forward. So if he plays with Emerson, he knows Emerson likes to go on the inside. He goes on the outside. Uh, Doherty likes to really move inside. Then he he's always there to kind of position himself in a, in a, somewhere where he can help the player that's next to him. And I think that shows shows how intelligent he is. He plays with his mind first and foremost. That's so how he can be so so he can be so effective effective one v one without being the fastest player. He's not that explosive. Uh, he's not slow, but it's, he mostly knows. Okay, now he knows. I will go on. I like to go on the inside. I'll go on the outside. He just reads the game very well. I think pace-wise, it's a bit similar to Kane. He's deceptively fast, I think. I think because of the, his frame, he's a big guy. And because of the way he runs, I think he looks slower than he is. But if you look him, certainly if you've got a wide shot of a game, or if you, you know, you're looking across a pitch and you look at other players who you know are fast, more often than not, he's keeping up with them. He's not slow. He's just not explosive always. No, I think that's right. That's the same thing with Kane. Kane isn't slow, but he's not the most explosive uh, in his yeah. three first steps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let me put the penultimate discussion point out there. Um, you know, it's fair to say that we don't have currently a, another player with a similar with a similar skill set. Uh, we 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 talk about this often, and we've talked about Richarlison, and we've sort of broken down why Richarlison is not um, the, the, the same player as as Decky, even though you know you could initially be fooled into thinking that it would be a like for like. I mean, there's various reasons which I'm sure Milo will get into in a minute. Um, you know, that they're, they're not that hard to see you know he we don't have anyone in the squad with a similar skill set is that an issue how important is it to the team that we try and find someone with a similar skill set i think there's an issue let's say both with kane and decky that it's hard to rest either of them and and be as effective going forward see kane isn't only a striker so let's say we play with johnson mm-hmm. he won't he, he can come deep but he won't be able to play make in the same way and you could play Richardson on the right and not play Decky, but then you don't have that balance in the front three. So we have a, a, a profile that we're missing that there's something like in between a forward and a midfielder, mm-hmm. not only to be able to play, let's because if let's say we don't play Kane, to me, I'd prefer to go three in the midfield and play someone, uh, that kind of playmaker in behind. And then you'll be able to play Son and Richie in front. And then you have someone that can uh, assimilate what, what Kane does um, in, in terms of playmaking. So there is a profile that we're missing uh, because when Kane and Kulu don't play, we don't look the same. Yeah, I mean, I bored you and probably half our listeners rigid over the summer talking about that being well, one of the priorities, certainly once we'd kind of done our early business, was, you know, I was constantly going on about how we needed another person who could pass and, and hold on to the ball. Um, I don't think that necessarily, and, and this probably is making the same point that Simon's just made, I don't think that necessarily has to be from 
the right wing position or the you know the right inside forward position. I think there's different ways you can shuffle the pack in order to to get the same result. And I think for a manager, actually having those options would be quite useful because it means that if you've got a team that's setting up in a certain way, you can bring players off the bench in order to kind of, um, particularly I think with a deep set defence, you could unpick the defence in a slightly different way. So maybe someone with the same kind of skill set who could play on the left or could play behind or all of the above uh, might also be an option. But essentially what we're lacking is another player who plays in the final third of the pitch who can put their foot on the ball, hold on to it, and then bring others into play. And yes, we desperately need that. That should be one of our priorities for January. Let's save um, our listeners the, the the twenty minute discussion we had about that potential player um, off off record, and let's bring it right to the to the fruit of the matter, if you will. Uh, that which was we we came up between us with a name that has come up on this pod before, and has come up as a player that we were supposedly very interested in, and that name is James Madison, um, who I have gone on record as saying is one of the most handsome men ever to step on a football pitch, um, and uh, who I love dearly. I actually didn't say that, but I I. Agree. He is a great player and he does seem to fit everything we're sort of talking about. Uh, we, we we would agree on that, right? I mean, he would be a really good target. Yeah, or Malinowski. And I think, you know, we talked about, you, you mentioned Brian Hill earlier on. I think if UEFA had changed their homegrown rules around Welsh players, you know, two weeks earlier, then I think Malinowski would probably be wearing a Spurs shirt at the moment. Yeah, that would have been an option. I mean, he does play on the uh, on the right, but you know, I think there are players out there. It's, you know, it's just that skill set, like you're saying, Steph. I think that those are that's what we're missing. Uh, for some reason, Conte said no to Madison. If we are to believe reports, and I don't really know why, because he's homegrown, as you say, Stefan. He he fits the profile, but I'm looking at our team and the type of players we're bringing in, and maybe there's something in his physicality that's missing. Maybe Conte hasn't seen him enough. I don't know what the problem was, but for some reason we didn't go for him when he clearly was someone that we could probably have got. We could, we could we could certainly speculate, and that uh, and that's probably not a not a good place to go. But I would say that you know there is definitely a uh, that we'll go back to that very sort of like stiff mentality that it seems is being brought into the club, and the physicality issue I think is 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 Possibly, is, yeah. is important. It's massive. I mean, yeah. Madison is five foot ten. I think five foot nine. I think. I think. Bit, I think uh, he's, yeah, he, he's. But he's not dissimilar. He's a similar height to Ericsson, who you know, uh, you know, after settling in, he did, also didn't get. Yeah, but yeah. did you know? Eventually, got well, got half a season under Conte. We'll see. But uh, I mean, so so just to uh, so, dear listener, um, Madison is a player that we put forward. It'll be interesting to see what Antonio and more to the point, Paratici and Co come up with. It is definitely an area. Um, that, you know, we've only really got him. You know, let's look at the final uh, point here, which is, you know, how we see him developing as a player and what the future holds for him. I'm going to posit that with a, I'm going to pose that with an opening gambit of, you know, would you play him as a wing back? No. Um, no. Why, why, do, why do we think people, why do we think people are saying this? Why do we think people are talking of him as a wing back? I think people are desperate for some attacking output uh, and um, Deke is someone they can see. And also I think people have gotten stuck on this three-man midfield and this problem when you play three in the midfield, you don't play, you have to bring someone off in the forward line. And so there is this thing of having your cake and eating it too. But to me, we should be, play him as a, as a 10. Yeah. I mean, I think, 
you know, if you talk about, you know, his qualities that we've talked about so far, none of them are particularly wing-backy or certainly not Conte wing-backy. Yeah. Um, I think he's a decent option late in the game if you want to change things up. So, um, yeah, particularly against a team that are sitting back. If you're looking to bring on more forwards and you play him on the outside, so, you know, not really playing as a, as a wing-back, it was the Marseille game, wasn't it? Um, when they were a man down and he was brought on for Royale, but actually didn't play as a wing back. He played as a, we effectively yeah. played with um, four forwards and he was the the widest there. Um, I think you can do that, but I, I, I don't want him spending time on the halfway line. I want him in the final third uh, playing passes across, um, across the box or, or running in on goal. And uh, that's where he's most effective. No, I agree with that. I mean, I think for me, when I look at him as a player and this is just you know, where could I imagine him uh, adding uh, some strings to his already pretty decent bow, if you will? Uh, you know, this is not going to happen under Antonio Conte, so so just know this. But I could see him in in a in a four two three one. I could see him as the ten. I could see him in that position, and I could see him as a footballer developing that as a very very uh, and he'd be and he'd be really pretty dangerous in that uh, scenario i think but you can do that within a conte system so you could play him as a central playmaker in a three five two yes I, that's that's the only way it could work and I, I i wouldn't be against it yeah or a three four one two which again he yeah. also played in italy so there are ways of playing him i mean it's effectively the same formation it's just a, you know but there there are ways that you could do it and i think it's it's something I'd, I'd be interested to see, um, you know, as a tweak in a game, maybe it's not a starting formation, but maybe for passages of play, if you've got a, an opponent that's playing in a certain way, just to change things up, mm. to pull him in and just move it around and see what he could do. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I think yeah. that will come also with, with Conte system. Right now it's rigid and he's trying to get everyone on the same page, but I think we will see more variety and flexibility and uh, adjustments where the team can change formation mid-game and adjust to what's happening with the opponent. And I think we'll see sometimes he will go in more uh, towards the middle. Sometimes, you know, we'll go to a back four. I, I think we'll see more, the, the team be more adjustable. But but that's, there's like levels on levels on levels. We're still on level two or something like that. I mean, yeah. in, terms of, in terms of development, I think he could become a De Bruyne. I think that's the type of player he could develop into you know he's got he's got that strength he's got that range he's yes. you know he i think there's more goals to come from him i think as he as he matures um and certainly if you played him more centrally i think there's more goals there and his vision will get even better as well and he's already starting with really good vision he sees yeah. things very very well he sees the game well he sees the gaps he sees the spaces yeah, yeah. absolutely yes i agree i think that's a really good shout yeah, Not a bad place to I agree, it. and it's really interesting. You brought up, well, you bought, you bought up, yeah, but it's interesting. You brought up Diaz earlier, and I was quite vocal about the fact I felt we'd really dropped a giant bollock by not pushing that signing over the line. But of course, you know, you do look at sliding doors moments. Our failure to get that deal done forced the Kulisevsky deal to happen, it would appear. And, and here we are as you said, probably a fine place to, to wrap this up. We're discussing a 22-year-old player who's had an enormous impact in less than a year in the Premiership. And we're already in agreement as a trio mm. that we could well be looking at a De Bruyne-esque development in the coming two, three years. I mean, yeah, gimme, gimme, gimme a ginger from Sweden indeed. I'm not singing that. I'm saying it as a statement and how glad I am that we got him. Any final words from you on Declan, chaps? 
<laughs> you see what I did there. No, right? I think you 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 wound that up pr- pretty perfectly. No, he's um, he's one of my favourite players at, at Spurs. I think he's um, he's absolutely fantastic, and um, just I just love watching him play. We're we're such a better side when um, when he's in the team, and um, yeah, long may it continue. Indeed, I hope you have all enjoyed our uh, little uh, review of Dejan Kulusevski's uh, career with Tottenham so far, and our. Uh, exciting prediction for his career with Tottenham Hotspur to come um chaps thank you very much that was a good one just thank you guys next week we hope to be diving right back into it with a massive review of the North London derby from that home of the half and half scarf the Death Star however a rail strike appears to stand a good chance of derailing the game that's the sound of crickets to one of my crappy puns and possibly even the following weekend's home match against Brighton you know that whatever the ways of the Tottenham world, we will have something rather compelling to enjoy. So just tune in, will you? And it would also be brilliant if you could spare a couple of minutes to leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. It really does help us pick up new listeners. And thank you to all of you who uh, have put reviews in and continue to send us comments and feedback and, uh, and positive uh, vibes. It's great. Thank you very much. And as always, thank you for joining us this week and we'll see you next week.